God, we've got so many things to talk about. This is insane. Well, I mean, it's been like two whole weeks. I don't know. I assume that when we're not actually talking that you cease to exist. And so I don't actually know if you age or experience the passage of time. Uh, yes, Thoughts? Concerns? I have a lot of life left in me. Like talking <laughs> like a dead man. All right, man talk. Let's do this. Welcome, dear listener, to the QQ Cast. Today is Thursday, October 6, 2022. We're your hosts, Tom DuPont and Zach Mayer. Say, where's Ruley? He's gone and he's never coming back. We say that a lot. He has ceased to be. Well, he ceased he to be is... a man, a land dwelling man. Oh, that, that worked. He's on a boat. Fuck, land, I'm on a boat, That's true. He is on a boat. It's true. He's on a boat. So he's having fun, and us landlubbers are hanging out here. Check it and see. It's hard living on the land. It's tougher than I thought. Yeah. Well, you know. Oh, this is hard. Release the glue. He really keeps us together. He is. Keeps the keeps the ball rolling. Yeah. But we will go on. We will persevere because this dear listener is quest two seventy eight. What didn't we review in twenty twenty two? Um. Yeah, Zach, we're all terrible about not watching the same things, doing the same things. Ruli has kids. I'm a depressed hermit. You are a globe-traveling, world-amazing person with, really, your better half, your wife. So, we suck, and we rarely watch her play the same shit. So, this is our chance to play catch-up. Yay! My second favorite condiment. <laughs> um, Yeah, no, for sure. Like, I mean, we've got a decent list. A lot of this is from, like, the past couple of weeks, but, you know... 2022, last couple of weeks, time is a flat circle, so... Well, then I'll start with something super fucking old. So, uh, having really enjoyed Prey, I wanted to rewatch some of the Predator movies. I finally rewatched Predator 2, starring Danny Glover. Los Angeles, 1997. It's the hottest summer on record. Pollution is choking the city. The gangs control the streets. It has not been a nice day! As bad as things are, they're about to get worse. Much worse. So uh, we're not doing the uh, the full QQ review thing. Uh, So I'll just give it, uh, I'm just going to, like, we're not going to do the format, but I'll say I'm going to give it a three, which is the, I like it, I can understand if you don't. It's 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 really cool, man. As far as an action movie goes, it you know back in its day, it wasn't what people expected for a sequel to The Predator. Uh, it was supposed to be in the concrete jungle, right? And it's it's very different. And so the first like three fourths, four fifths of the movie, I actually would tell you are fucking awesome. It's it's '90s L.A. gritty, you know, dirty cops arguing with their you know commanders and captains. Um, you got the Predator just tearing through the city while, like, different gang groups are murdering each other. There's all these action set pieces. Uh, you just got this cool cast of characters. It's a ton of fun. And then you get to, like, the very end of the movie, and they just didn't know how to end it. So, like, the last fourth of the movie is this slow slog where it's Danny Glover versus the Predator. And you think, oh, that's, like, the Arnold showdown. It's going to be the great part. But, like, they just – the pacing's terrible. It's like they didn't know what to do. Like, there's all these slow-moving shots and scenes and, like – it doesn't make any sense and all the characters you cared about are gone and all the back plot threads are gone and all the gangs are gone and this it's just 
Yeah, the ending kind of sucks. But up until then, it's fucking awesome. So um, Predator <laughs> 2, I, uh, I endorse it. For people who like the first half of things. Yeah, basically. Or like only one Twix. <laughs> that's enough for me. The right Twix, of course. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. See, if we're, we're really we're right we love the left Twix, and then we have to fight over it. It'd be so I know. Fun. We have to stop agreeing on things. Yeah. Yeah. I almost picked left just in his honor, but I gotta be honest, it's the right Twix damn, for me. Damn right. Damn right, bro. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, again, this is uh, something I'm gonna say a couple of times during these reviews, is like, um, you know, the ending's not great, but it doesn't sour or spoil everything that came before it. I think Predator 2 is actually a lot of fun. It's really cool. Um, and the ending is not, like, awful. It's just nowhere as good as the rest of the movie. So, yeah. Uh, all right, I will hand you the conch. What is your QQ do, do, do. review of stuff, thing, whatever you want to talk about? <laughs> 2022, uh, or at least the last, like, several weeks. Um, so the Orville's back after a hiatus. A traveler comes upon the statue of an emperor inscribed with the words, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look upon my works and despair. Only there's nothing left beside it, except empty desert. Uh, nope. I wasn't really sure that they were ever going to make, uh, what are we on, third season? Well, there's there's some complications there, right? It, this was a plural year hiatus because of the pandemic, and it got picked up by a different network. Is it not Fox anymore? What's, what's the deal here? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Honestly, I do not get it through a streaming service, but that's okay because or maybe it's on hulu i honestly don't know um yeah i have no reason really to care about how or why it's back i'm just happy that it is because it is the best star trek show on television um i it pains me to admit it but it's really really good star trek uh it's seth mcfarlane grates on my nerves just his face everything about <laughs> him uh but he has put together a really engaging cast they are tackling legitimate issues of things like gender identity in ways that only science fiction can and that is the essence of star trek if there is one so i I don't know. I've really I enjoyed the Orville in the first two seasons. I've really been in. Actually, I think maybe the third season actually wrapped up a week or two ago. So maybe I don't have any more left. But regardless, this uh, third season that's out this year is at least as good, and I think better. So yeah. So I've I've seen. I I have only watched one episode of the Orville. I have nothing against it. I really should watch it, like so many other things. Um, I know that it's been very positively received this last season, uh, this new season around the internet, because I do try to keep my ear to the virtual ground. I don't know how to make that analogy work in the internet. Um, to the web? I keep my ear close to the web? I don't know. Anyway, uh, it seems like you and I are, are like the opposite, because I like, I, I don't watch Family or anything else, but I like Seth MacFarlane. I think he's super talented and like a fun, fun-loving guy. Um, so yeah, I, I should watch The Orville, but would you say it is better than... Strange New Worlds, because that's like right now, that's for old Trekkies like you and I, that is the phenomenally well-reviewed show in comparison to well, basically any of the others. Um, You know, I'll put it this way. 
I did not get as choked up watching an episode of Strange New Worlds as I did watching a couple of the episodes in this last season of The Orville. It's really good. Like, it's really good Star Trek. <laughs> um, yeah, I think by certain metrics, you could call The Orville way better than Strange New Worlds. Now, visual effects, certainly not. Like, they're good, especially for what the show is intended to be. It's a comedy show. Um, and you know, the, the effects that they are throwing at it are fantastic in that light. They're not going to stand up to anything that the what do we call this the silver generation or the gold or whatever oh, it was god i don't remember yeah <laughs> this this last uh iteration of star trek shows uh yeah no the visually it's it's like strange new world is stunning and the cast gels in a very different way they're not directly comparable but man even if you're looking at apples and oranges, that orange is way, way sweeter. So, yeah, now it's it's got a lot of really fantastic qualities to it. And I'm being a little bit vague because I really think that everybody should probably watch the Orville at this point. So, it's high yeah, crazy. it's we don't we don't really care about spoilers, I know, but oh, man. No, it's cool. I'm I'm also gonna not hugely spoil the next thing we talk about because, uh, yeah, for reasons I'll get into. All right. Yeah. So the Orville. I'll tell you what. I will file that right after. I think it's gonna be if if and when I finally, I don't know, get the nerve balls. I don't know, motivation. I don't know what the right word is. I'm not that I'm not motivated. Uh, whenever I have the willpower to sit down and watch television, as terrible as that sentence sounds, I'm going to do Lower Decks, Strange New Worlds, and then I will put Orville behind it and that's in the trek the trek verse because there's so many other shows that we could talk about and we're gonna oh, mini review um okay moving on i mentioned that i was playing return to monkey island on the last episode i have completed it this is another one of those oh god the ending the ending i'm not going to spoil it for you but the last literally only five minutes of the game right up until then it kind of keeps the tone keeps the pacing the last five minutes of the game it's, I guess all of them, I haven't played the other Monkey Island games, I guess all of them have kind of like, you know, uh, as the Simpsons used to call it, screw the audience endings. Like the Simpsons would do a thing where we'd be like, so I guess we learned a lesson. No, we didn't. I'm like, oh, I guess we didn't. And like, they'll just kind of like, <laughs> screw you audience endings, which is funny. This is a bit of a screw you audience ending, and I'm not, like, it's I really, really, really dislike the last five minutes. But I hate to say that because... The game up until then is awesome and fun. And so despite not liking that ending, just like I said with Predator 2 and like with some other things, I don't think that retroactively harms the experience. Um, I think Return to Monkey Island is gorgeous. I think the writing is absolutely hilarious. I was having so much fun with it. It was really entertaining. It will make you laugh. The point-and-click gameplay is barely qualifies as gameplay. But one of the things that's nice is that they have like targets for you to interact with so it's not the old school dos click every pixel on the goddamn screen um so yeah it's a very streamlined experience the voice acting and the art and the animation and the colors are just gorgeous and funny the writing is fantastic i highly recommend checking it out it's chill as fuck even if i thought the last uh five minutes sucked so i'm gonna give it a three i'm gonna give it again same thing i liked it i could totally get it if you don't but uh 
that's Return of Monkey Island. Right on. Yeah. Would you ever, would you ever consider good. playing a uh, like a point and click adventure game? You know, there were, and I think I might have mentioned this the last time you brought it up. There was uh, a series that was supposed to be like episodic content that uh, was in that vein, and I wish I could remember what it was called. Um, I was just scrolling through my graveyard of Steam games. Uh, oh, here it is, King's Quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they. It, King's Quest got rebooted, basically. Uh, it was that was an ancient, ancient game, but now they've got like a point-and-click adventure episode, episodic sort of release content. They're doing it as DLC, which I think is smart, rather than having individual titles spaced out over whatever. But uh, I think they're on episode three, and it's been running since like 2015. So, yeah, I don't know. I played like the first episode, which was fun. I remember waiting on the second one, and I might have gotten to tinker with it for a little bit, but I think I was doing other things, and then just it fell off of my radar after a while. But yeah, no, I think it, I, I think it's a genre that you can do well, but it takes thinking about how you are not only telling a story but interacting with the game mechanics a little bit differently than a lot of games. So, you know, it's it's a challenging medium, I think, to get right. It sounds like even a three for uh, Monkey's Island is high praise. Yeah, so I, I would say so. I, I It's a fun genre. Again, it's, it's more like watching a little slightly interactive movie, but it's more interactive than the old Telltale games. The Telltale games were literally just click on one thing, a screen. This is more adventure-y. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a weird it's a weird niche genre, but it is really cute and really fun. So, yeah, I think I think I am giving it high praise, but I liked it. I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. A unique experience. I'm not going to start going and picking up all the click and point and click adventure games like King's Quest, but it was fun. It's a fun experience. For sure. All right. Zach, For back sure. to you. Um, well, speaking of games, let's stay on that. So I picked up and really enjoyed a game that I think is still in early access. Oh, no, it's not. Well, maybe it is. I have to check the store page now. Uh, yes it is. It's in early access. Farthest Frontier. So, it's it's a city building game, but it's in this kind of subgenre of survival city builders. The uh, closest thing that I can think of that would be the equivalent, this is uh... Where was it? Ugh. Man, me and nouns. <laughs> Killing it. I can't remember. Th- yeah, I know. I can't remember the name of the the old game that this is basically a spiritual successor to. Anyway, uh, if you like things like Frostpunk, this is kind of in that same niche. You are building... Yeah, it's it's colony survival. Like you're building out a colony, you're uh, player and society versus the world. Um you're scrambling to uh, access resources that are limited and uh, sometimes mobile. You have to like hunt for food, stuff like that. Uh, you are battling the elements. Uh, seasonal mechanics are usually playing pr- pretty prominently in this kind of thing. Um, not, although not always. There's another one like uh, Surviving Mars where it's just a really harsh environment. But that's the... It's still the gist. Like it's uh, 
society versus the world. So that's been kind of fun. And honestly, it's a really well put together game just on its own. Like as a city builder, it has pretty simple mechanics, which is fine. Um, the real, I think, cool part of this is the way that they, and a lot of these games have to, but this one does it, I think, particularly well. The way that they simulate the uh, individuals in your little village, town, whatever. Um, like, you can, you're, you're dealing with hundreds to maybe a couple thousand people, uh, but each one has jobs or routine. Uh, needs that they have to fulfill, and they are all agents in this game. So they're, in some cases, in in the case of Farthest Frontier, selectable, and you can order them to do like specific move actions, but you can't tell them to perform specific tasks. All of that gets queued up. But yeah, no, I think it's uh, it's a solid entry in that sort of, like I said, survival city builder subgenre. That is one hell of a subgenre. I, I don't know that I've ever played a game in that genre, as you're describing it. Um, what does make me come to mind right now, though, is uh, what makes that come to mind is um, what that brings to mind. Oh, my God. English is hard. Cult of the Lamb. Have you heard of Cult of the Lamb? So yeah. Like yeah, I have. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. There's the, the city building side of that where you have all your followers and minions and you have to control them. That, that's what you make me think of when you talk about this. I don't think it's the same thing. No, nah, not quite. Because that's, that's more like... Um... I mean, it's a roguelike, right? And you're going out and doing stuff. And then you have, like, the little community management aspect of it. The um, the thing that really sets the survival city builders apart is the concept of the death spiral, ironically. So uh, there may be a tipping point in a game like this that you may not even immediately recognize as being the thing that brings everything crashing down. But uh, something in a supply chain or a uh, resource that you're gathering or maybe just an over-reliance on one particular thing or another uh, will have a cascade effect that ultimately kills everybody. And the really good ones, they'll give you hints, but you may not always see it coming. And the challenge then is to try and bring yourself out of it. It's not always possible, but when you can, it's super satisfying to be like, oh shit, this got all fucking kinds of pear-shaped, and now everything's back to kind of stable. Uh, super fun. Okay. I'm, trying, I'm still trying to remember the name uh, of that other game. Like... Uh, banished. 2014. I don't know any of these games. I don't know the genre at all. I am completely <laughs> in the dark. I I was going. It was going to drive me nuts, and I would have felt really bad if I didn't mention it. Banished is one of the. It's probably the game that kind of revitalized this whole subgenre. There have been other entries, I think, before it, but um, Banished was really good. It was uh, an indie game on Steam. Uh, I think it was really just like one guy, and after a while, it stopped getting updates. Uh, really well put together. Uh, had a great balance, uh, challenging, fair, but um, and it's like it's a nine out of ten on Steam and ninety-two percent on Humble Bundle. Damn, <laughs> it was it was a good game, um, but like I said, it stopped getting updates. So you started seeing other things pop up. Um, 
survive Mars and now our uh, farthest frontier, which is honestly farthest frontier is the closest to the banished experience that you can get in this this subgenre now. And it's it's doing well. They're updating stuff. They're adding new layers to the different systems, which are cool. So it's evolving. But uh, yeah, no, that's that's been fun. Cool. All right, I'll do something that's real short. Um, so one of my favorite movies of all time is uh, Aliens, the James Cameron masterpiece. Uh, and I also really like the original Alien. I think they're completely different movies, and I love them for completely different reasons. But Aliens is definitely my my favorite, hands down. I had rewatched Alien last year, and this year I actually have now rewatched Alien and Aliens one and two. Movement. Talk to me, Hudson. Uh, I got signals. I got readings in front and behind. There's nothing back here. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving, and it ain't us. Get me out of there. I just, I still think both of these movies are on the QQ scale of four. I love them. I think you love them too. They just have aged so well. The writing and the characters are so good. The sets are so good. The pacing is so good. Um, There's a bit of dated special effects, but so few because everything is so done with practical uh, effects and real sets. So, you know, aside from a a composite shot or two um, or like one god-awful scene in the original Alien where the rubber alien is dangling on a wire... It's just fucking awesome, and I just think they're great films, and I just can't overstate how awesome I think they both are, how well they've aged. Um, the person I watched them with recently made the comment that, because uh, I was asking him, okay, what what are my, like, I look at these movies with uh, significant nostalgia, right? Like, I just love these films. I was like, what am I missing? What are those rose-tinted glasses covering up? And they were like, eh, you know, a lot of the technology does look dated. And they're not wrong, I just, at this point, it's almost so dated, especially the original Alien specifically, like the tech is so dated that it looks to me to be more like a style choice. Like someone intentionally made a white room full of blinking LED, or blinking little lights because that's what was going to look cool, not futuristic. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm a little biased, but I just think they're fucking fantastic. When was the last time you watched either of those movies? Oh, gosh. Um, actual decades ago. Um... I, I don't know. I've probably seen them more recently in reruns on cable television, and I don't remember the last time I paid for cable. So that is not uh, not speaking well to the to how recent it's been. But yeah, no. But I, I do kind of remember that what you're talking about, like um, <laughs> the white room, uh, all the haptic keys, and I'm going to use the term haptic because you're not wrong. It does feel like a style choice now. Uh, when I think back to stuff like that or Blade Runner, uh, yeah, it's what would you call that? Like retro cyberpunk almost. I, uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> it's it's very fun. Like I, I I almost put the Matrix in the same category because they had the rotary phones and things like that. But you know, even that. <laughs> doesn't quite do it that's a good example of an intentional choice because i I hadn't even thought about that you're right they have rotary phones even in the 90s those were late 90s those were horribly outdated you didn't see those anymore and yet they chose to do that as a style choice that's what this feels like to me sure yeah no as far as like choice for the aesthetic goes definitely and i mean that was even kind of a central part of the whole mythology of the matrix but um it's not the same style choice was really what I was getting at. 
One of uh, the uh, Animatrix shorts, I'm pretty sure, took place in like a very cyberpunk-y world where things were very retro like that. Um, mm-hmm. I love that vibe, man. I dig it. Yeah. No, it's super cool. Uh, all the manual switches and real keys, no touch screens, big, <laughs> big CRT monitors. Um, it's a vibe for sure. Hey, dear listener, editor Tom here from the future. Mid-recording, we identified this as another entry in our unfortunately recurring series, the QQCast Rambles. So without further ado, let's get to it. So uh, to briefly digress, this is something that I... So, you know, I, I love the early Final Fantasy franchise, and I've just fallen out of love with that franchise. I haven't enjoyed a Final Fantasy game in, in an unfortunately long time. And something that I've pointed out that even though 6 is my favorite personally, and I think I understand why 7 is a masterpiece, everybody loves it, um, I also feel like that was starting to sow the seeds of, like, what would become the downfall of the Final Fantasy franchise. And one of those things was that in Part 6, they went very into the steampunk vibe. And in Part 7, they kind of did the same thing with, like, uh, you know, like, the steam trains and stuff like that um, in the city of Midgar. And... I like the steampunk aesthetic they're going for. I'm cool with injecting, I'm really cool with injecting technology into fantasy or fantasy into technology, so long as there's rules and those rules are cohesive. Um, but then it gets off the rails with like, you know, the last Final Fantasy game, the, the main characters are driving around in literally a modern car and using cell phones. And I'm like, stay in the retro punk thing, whether that is cyberpunk or that is steampunk, or I guess we're talking retro cyberpunk, like, stay in that, don't let modern fashion trends influence your stuff, unless you're trying to way hyper overdo it, like the fifth element, where the costume designer was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, everything's a little more like, uh, you know, metro and and cross-gender, because that's what we think the future's gonna be, garish colors, like, Go all fucking in. But if you're trying to be cool today with leather, it's not, uh, I think you're missing the art point. There you go. Tom, who doesn't know shit about art, digresses. I think I'm going to put, I'm going to go retroactively put Spanish flea over that. Tom Rance. The unfortunately <laughs> recurring segment. Uh, no, it's good. I mean, you're not wrong, exactly. Um, you know, you, you reminded me, though, like, I think my favorite recent example of a really good steampunk piece of media was uh actually mortal engines did you oh, see that no we've talked about this and you've suggested i watch it and i kind of want to it's dumb it's real fun uh <laughs> but it's just the the whole concept is so wild that uh i think they they took a stylistic direction with it and said, yeah, let's just take this to its natural, like extreme conclusion. Fuck it. The whole city moves. Uh, yeah. Oh, and we'll make it hunt other cities. That'll be cool. (laughs) Oh, it's absurd. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very steampunk vibes. Uh, and that's just honestly, a really endearing quality in that movie. <laughs> it's and it's not like a cinematic masterpiece or anything. Like even the uh, like a lot of the dialogue even isn't like great. Uh, it's not cringy, like super cringy at least. Uh, fair, solid middle of the road in almost every respect. But it's fun. It's super fun. Popcorn movie. Yeah, that's what matters. Okay. Uh, 
back to you, I think, even though we just digressed into Final Fantasy and <laughs> Portal Engine and what have you. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of things with an aesthetic, uh, you saw the first few episodes of The Sandman. Yes, yes. I think I've seen the first four. Oh, yeah. Your waking world is shaped by dreams. Well, I mean, for a series based on a Neil Gaiman property, like, they've treated it real well. Um, I think that's been the loudest consensus about it is that they have leveraged the source material effectively and uh, where he's had influence, Gaiman has served as a gently guiding hand without being overbearing. So yeah, I got to give him props. It's a really good show. Uh, I think they're going to do another season of it, which would be yep. a lot of fun. Yep. Um, but man, it's also just pretty as hell. Yeah, no, it's they gorgeous. did a fantastic job with the effects, um, the world settings, the uh, little interludes that they do with different stories. Um, I'm trying to remember. Do you do you remember what you saw in episode four? Uh, I think if is episode four when he goes to hell because after he gets back from hell is where I stopped watching, which I think is four, but it could have been three. Okay, yeah, I think you're right. Um. Man, episode summary. Let's see. All ten episodes explained. Where do we go? Episode two, three, uh, four. Yeah, four was uh, a hope in hell. Yes, that's the one. So yeah, he went. He went. Yeah, he went down to hell to get his uh, mask back. I think. Yeah. So yeah, no, really, really great episode. The. Next one is Dark. The one after that is really a nice palate cleanser. I think that one might actually be one of my favorites. Nice. episode six. Yeah. I, so, I, I need to finish The Sandman. The next one is Dark, which is, I think, part of the reason I didn't jump straight back into it. But thoroughly enjoying the show. Could not agree with you more that it is gorgeous. Um Yes, it does seem to be. I, I'm. I should be a huge Neil Gaiman fan. I really liked Good Omens, um, and I know mm-hmm. I'm familiar with some of the, his body of work, but I haven't read much of any of it. But my friends in high or high school and college loved, 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 loved Sandman. Loved Neil Gaiman. So, yeah, they're really enjoying. Okay, here's the question for you, Zach. Mm. One of the things that I think was a little bit controversial, and I could understand why, but I personally love it. Is Patton Oswalt's voice distracting to you? You know, it's really not like I recognized him, but like I have a ton of respect for Patton Oswalt. So it just was like, oh, hey, that's Patton Oswalt. Cool. And then just let it wash over me. Um, Yeah, no, I, I really don't have a problem with that at all. Yeah, I agree. I there's a lot of stunt casting with uh, I, I don't think we'll watch the we, during the news. We could watch the Mario trailer, but I suggest we wait for Ruli. Um there's a lot of stunt casting in modern movies and voice acting where they just get celebrities. The celebrities just do their own voice. Chris <laughs> Pat Mario. Um, <laughs> and I think it's terrible. In this case, I don't know. I just felt like Patton Oswalt was being the character. It is his voice. He's not trying to do a different voice. But I do feel like he is being the character. And also, like you, respecting and liking Patton Oswalt, I was like, okay, cool. I am totally okay with this. 
But I also understand why if someone didn't like Patton Oswalt's comedy, for example, that would be horribly distracting to them. I get it. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, Mark Hamill's a voice as well. Oh, really? Didn't know that. Yeah. Mark Hamill's in there. Uh, Stephen Fry shows up. It's got a really fantastic cast. They did super duper well. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Tom Sturridge? Don't yeah, know. I had name. to find it. Tom Sturridge is Dream. He's not a guy that I had ever heard of either. Wait, uh, the main actor? I honestly. Yeah. Okay, I don't know him, but he looks like the fucking character. Good God. He's amazingly well taught typecast uh i was gonna look him up to see what else he had done what else was he on he was in on the road pirate radio far from the madding crowd waiting for forever these are not things that i've really seen sweet bitter uh henry the sixth part one deleted scenes Hey, dear listener, Editor Tom here from the future again. We here on the QQ Cast are not sponsored by anyone or anything. However, we do often and unintentionally, sometimes ironically, give our endorsements to some products, services, or companies. And thus, I bring you tonight's sponsored, the always awesome Valve. Praise be to Gaben. After these messages, we'll be right back. All right, Zach, 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 <laughs> shut up. We have a breaking news announcement live here on the QQ Cast. I'm not kidding. I'm not fucking with you. Apparently, it went live earlier today. The Steam Deck dock is available. I'm ordering oh, mine right fucking now. All right. Let's see. Where to go? Deck dock. Deck dock. Deck dock. The fuck is it? There it is. Get you the PayPal. Uh-huh. It's overpriced, and I don't care. Do. Oh my god, I have to do two two-factor auths. I had to do Valve, and now I have to do fucking PayPal. Oh god. Do, do, do. Okay. Done and done. <laughs> Install your new content. I would love to. Wait, did you buy that before? God damn it! What? Did you just buy that before I bought it? Uh, yeah, I didn't have to go through two-factor auth. This is what I get for being my a tinfoil hat-covered bastard. I mean, I've got it enabled. I just trust my machine. I trust nothing. Nothing. That's fair. All right, that was way too much money. I didn't even look up the specs. I don't care. I want it. Oh, okay. Back to uh, the podcast. So, Sandman, we both are clearly endorsing it. Four episodes in, I would give it a four out of four. What uh, would you give it a four? Do you give it a three? What do you think? Oh, yeah. No, I think it's fantastic. At the very least, I think it's something that people should be exposed to um like the graphic novels were fantastic and they hold up i was able to get my hands on one a few months ago when i heard the series was coming out and yeah no it's it's legitimately good like the writing's fantastic because of course it is it's neil gaiman he's just good uh but yeah no it's it's even if you're not into his particular brand of weird. It's just so pretty. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. He's a really good storyteller. And the cool part about the Sandman, at least uh, the graphic novel and the, the uh, show is that the episodes themselves are, they're a connected anthology. Like all of the stories stand alone pretty well. Um, there's maybe a little bit of context that you'd need for a couple of them. Like the, part where he goes to hell for some reason 
yeah, maybe it's nice to have a little bit of context for that. But for the the vast majority of those episodes, you could watch them in practically any order because there's very light connective tissue between them. Oh, so far I would have told you it was very serial. Maybe it lightens up in the middle. I'm not sure. It definitely does. Oh, okay. um, I think the, the first few episodes are way more connected than the latter episodes. But even those first few episodes, like if you don't really care about the context, I think you could probably even get away with watching those in pretty much any order. All right. You might have questions, questions that are answered by a different episode. but <laughs> It's like 90s <laughs> television all over again. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, last round, then we'll get to doing a little bit of news. Uh, so the last thing I will call out... Wait, crap. Which one do I want to talk about? No, I'm just talking about this one. Um, we may yet do a full QQ review of this when Ruli is back. I don't know. But I did finally watch Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, directed by the always badass Sam Raimi. Every night, I dream the same dream. The nightmare begins. So, Zach, I just have a question, okay? Mm-hmm. This was not particularly well-received. It was fine, but people weren't jumping up saying how cool it was. Why the fuck not? Because it was real fucking cool, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I have the same impression where I was like, I was super excited about it. I love doctor strange uh i liked the uh the bits with him and one of the little um animated anthology bits uh with the watcher i like his character i like benedict cumberbatch as doctor strange it's just it it's comfy it feels right but um for whatever reason there was something not quite there for me and i can't put my finger on it because all of the elements were there. Like, it was Doctor Strange being an arrogant asshole and breaking reality. Of course that's going to be fun. And then all of the... Uh, uh, it's. I feel like it's unfair to call them cameos. Um, Guest starring the, roles? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Fan uh, fan service? I, ton of fun. <laughs> ton of fun. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Um it was. It was legitimately a lot of fun. I feel like the... Maybe it was the expectations. Like, I was expecting, like, a weird, almost road trip kind of feel. Like, he's in the multiverse of madness, and maybe his only motivation was to try and get back to reality or put reality back together. But he had this other hook of the the kid that he was following around. Yeah. And I honestly don't even remember the kid's name. America like, shot us. Yeah, it was so not important to anything that I cared about. Uh, and it I, I was the central the hook because of the whole a, fucking movie. I only knew that character because there's a card Marvel snap for it. <laughs> oh, good. So, but, By the way, if we were doing the full review and we were doing preconceptions, I would agree with you. I thought it was going to be like a road trip through madness, and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm still fine with it. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, it was fine. It wasn't, I think, what I was expecting and what I was expecting, I think, would have been cooler, but... It was good. It was a good movie. Uh, I enjoyed it. I would watch it again. I think other people would enjoy it. For me, though, it's still probably a three. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll also give it a review. three because I can understand that some people, it's just not going to be their cup of tea. I mean, part of that's just being a superhero movie. But man, I thought, I, I've heard a lot of people complain that like the Sam Raimi horror bits weren't doing it for him. And I'm like, they're fucking great. Like, that was some of the best stuff. And of course, the surreal art is on display and it looks amazing. And yes, arrogant uh, Eggs Benedict Cucumber Batch is always entertaining. All the multiverse cameos and fan service was just a treat, was delight. I, I don't know. I mean, like, it's not the top fucking Marvel movie or some shit, but I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed it and was really surprised because I had heard it was just meh. And I'm like, that's a lot. That's a lot better than meh. Yeah. No, I, I think it was better than meh for sure. I was surprised to see the Scarlet Witch play such a prominent role. She was super cool in the movie. Like, Jesus Christ. What a fucking powerhouse. Um, yeah, and, and props to Marvel for being willing to take one of their fan favorite, you know, heroes and go full on villain and spoilers for a movie at this point, sort of kill him at the end. Um, I salute. That was great. The, the Scarlet Witch is a character everyone else has always loved. And I've just always been like, eh. And I thought she went out with a fucking bang. I was totally cool with it. 100%. Oh, yeah. Also didn't realize she would be the big bad. So again, preconceptions yeah. shattered. Yeah, that was that was I think the thing that kind of turned it for me. It was like I I really like the Scarlet Witch and she's always kind of ridden that edge between hero and villain. Uh in this one she did a little bit of the same. Uh she had her reasons, we'll say. I think she even said that line, I have my reasons. But um yeah, it just wasn't what I was expecting for like the Doctor Strange feature. I don't know. I guess I wanted to to be more like Guardians of the Galaxy, less like um, uh, The Grudge. <laughs> uh, I didn't watch The Grudge. I don't know. I still loved it. <laughs> I don't think that's a really fair comparison. I'm just, it's no. hyperbole. No. Uh, well, anyway, maybe we'll get back to a QQ review uh, with Ruli someday. Spoilers! We both gave it threes. Uh, all right, Zach, wrap this up. We'll do a little bit of news. Oh, no mas. Uh, okay. So I guess the only real other thing that I have that I've done lately that I can kind of remember talking and be able to talk about is uh, uh, we've been watching Rings of Power as it's released. Soon you will understand the power of the unseen world. How many episodes? So, in uh, five or six. Okay. Out of I don't know. I I would be able to tell you, but we were actually watching it on Amazon, so I don't have the episode list in front of me right now. But um, honestly, I have really been enjoying it. Like it's got all the right notes from the Lord of the Rings movies. The Hobbit less so, which is uh, not the worst thing. Um, you know, the, it's getting a lot of shit from honestly just white supremacists for its uh, diversity and inclusion, but it yeah, fuck fits. those people. We said that on the cast, and I'll go on record as saying fuck those people. Yeah, no, it fits super well. So I have no idea what they're. No, I know what their problem is, and it's dumb. So fuck them. Um, yeah, no, all uh, the the mainline cast is wonderful. They have. Uh, sort of two main story threads. Well, no, that's not true. There's three. There's three story threads that I think are are 
they're they're happening simultaneously, and I think they'll they'll bring them together. One of the or two of them, I guess, crashed into each other in this last episode uh, that released this past Sunday. Uh, so that's been fun. Uh, my favorite part, though, and I think this is probably the intention. Uh, we follow Galadriel a lot, and this is like Firebrand version of Galadriel. She's uh, way younger than she is in The Lord of the Rings. Not that it really matters, elves are immortal. But um, it shows in her... Maturity isn't the right word. But her willingness to take direct action is way higher in this series. Which is a lot of fun to watch. Because even in the time period that we're set in, she's already she's been around for hundreds of years. She's a badass. Supremely competent. Uh, a lot of fun to watch. The actress is great. The character is well written. Uh, all of the supporting cast has been really fun to watch so far. The guy they picked to play Elrond is like a... He looks so much like a younger version of the guy who played Elrond. Uh, help me out. What? I, I know. I'm trying to think of his name, too. I was going to say Mr. <laughs> Smith. Uh, ah! Oh, it's going to bug oh me. Oh, my God. It's, this, is, this is one of those getting old things. I forget. Like, if you gave me a line yeah. that said, here's three names, I'd pick it immediately. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Uh, so embarrassing. Da, 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 da. Where is he? Hugo Weaving. Thank you, God. Yeah, no, they did a really great job with the cast. Um, Galadriel is, or the the actress playing Galadriel is um, not like super directly related to Kate uh, Blanchett, but, you know, close enough. Yeah, honestly, you, you can tell it's not the same people, and they're not trying to hide that, which is good. Uh, I think it would be super expensive to try and digital twin these people and the licensing fees alone, Jesus. But... Um, no, they they they're all doing a great job. The the few characters that we've encountered before, which really at this point is just Gladriel and Elrond, um, do well with those characters. Uh, they how do I want to put that? <laughs> Think wisely, not... you're on mic. <laughs> they are upholding the tradition of those characters in film media. Like, that bar was set high in the Lord of the Rings movies, and I think they're meeting it. All right. Kick ass. Uh, yeah, again, I'm sure I'll watch that someday, but uh, it's not high up on the list at this point. There's too much fucking media. Okay. Cool. Zach, let's get to the news. Good news, everyone. Good news, everyone. Great news, everyone. Bad news, everyone. Uh-oh. I don't like the sound of that. So we got a couple of things here. Um... Let's start off with a science thing that maybe you can tell... You you know all the science things. You can tell me more about. Uh, NASA hit an asteroid with a fucking satellite going like 10,000 miles an hour uh, to see whether or not we could change its trajectory, which might help us deflect such things in the future. Go. Yeah. Um, did you see the video? Of the nerds counting down and then high-fiving each other? Because yes, and I wanted to be one of those nerds. Of the satellite hitting the asteroid. Was it only at like a frame per second or something? Because there's two. Well, yeah, this thing is moving super duper quick. And uh, there's a video from the front of the impactor. Uh, that, oh, I haven't seen that. 
Yeah, well, it's it's creeping along and it looks like it's going slow. It's going ridiculously fast relative to the thing that's about to hit. And it looks like it's looking at pebbles, but those pebbles are the size of houses. So it's a very weird perspective. Um, but yeah, no, you can watch the impactor's first-person perspective hitting that asteroid, which is just mind-boggling on the face of it. The other thing that's arguably cooler is that there's a telescope in South Africa that watched this event from the ground. And there's a, a there's a clip out there. Yeah. There's a clip out there of the impactor hitting the asteroid uh, f- from a telescope on Earth. I, how, that, what? Yeah. I, no. No. Even yeah. like, what? No. That, how? <laughs> how? What the fuck? Well, you're talking about watching a couple of white pixels Okay. Uh, okay. Move toward each other, and then there's a little cloud of white. And this video is a time lapse over something like ten hours. So, yeah, it's not like a high resolution video. There's no soundtrack, but the fact that we can see it at all is just fucking amazing to me. I'm gonna have That's to see crazy. if I can find it. Um, Science. Yeah. 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 Uh. Do 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 Jesus. Uh, nope, that's not it. Let's see. The mission was called Dart. South Africa. Uh. All right, we'll bless the asteroids down in Africa some other time. But I'm song reference. Yeah. All right, moving on. Let's just uh, let's just do tech news. Well, we can save trailers for another time because yeah. Um, I'm gonna send you this one though. It's sweet. sort of both videos back to back with music, <laughs> so there is a soundtrack. I lied, but whatever. Whatever. All right. Um, EVGA is no longer going to be selling Nvidia cards. Zach, again. PC Master Race guy over there, you keep up with this. Enlighten dear listener and I. What's the deal? Yo. Uh yeah, now they've had issues with um with Nvidia's support for their products for a long, long time. And I think they've finally just had enough. It's honestly to me a weird move. Like um Video cards were a lot of VGA's like product line. The fact that they're not going to do anything, they're not even doing anything with AMD. So they're just going to stop making video cards altogether and I guess focus on motherboards? Um, I don't know. I the, the knee-jerk reaction is that we are looking at like the end of EVGA as an entity. But well, so I don't from, know from the little bit of homework I did on this, what it sounds like, and I don't think anyone knows for sure, at least publicly, is that um, the profit margins on the video cards EVGA was doing were already not great, that NVIDIA, you know, whatever, haggled hard, took big cuts, whatever, and, and maybe you're right about their support not being there, so they're taking hits on returns or anything else. But then with the new price hike for NVIDIA's new cards and the part shortages and everything else that evga basically said look you're pricing out 
people out of the market. We don't know that we're going to be able to like get these parts and sell at these prices. And even then, like the sales will be as high because they're so expensive. So fuck it. Even if it was 60% of their business, it may only have been 10% of their profit. And so they just said, mm. fuck this. It is not worth it. Um, that's my understanding. I don't know if that's that's entirely accurate. But uh, yeah, I, I could see how from a consumer-facing standpoint that EVGA video cards are what they're probably known for. But I think they have other components. Maybe it's just motherboards. And I guess the company will carry on, but uh, they'll probably cut a substantial part of their workforce. Yeah, feel bad you're not people. wrong. You're you're not wrong, uh, especially about the margins on those. Um, like, I have to imagine though, like they're an electronics brand. The same issues that they're having with sourcing materials for video cards are going to carry over to a lot of th different things. And I, I mean, sure, yeah, maybe motherboard architectures are cheaper to license and have way better margins, and at the end of the day, maybe that's fine, but it's also a real saturated market. Um, and EVGA, as far as I know, isn't one of the top motherboard brands out there. It's not Asus, it's not... What's the other one? Um, whatever. I can literally only so, think, it's been yeah. so long, but I can only think of Asus at the moment. <laughs> I I don't even have an Asus motherboard in my machine right now and I can't remember what it is. Uh something master? Not, no. Well Cooler Master I think made a motherboard at one point. Yeah, they're all about the power um, supplies. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, somebody somebody makes an Aris product and I can't remember who. Regardless. Uh yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're gonna do. Maybe they'll get super into niche uh mechanical keyboards that is a hot industry apparently i mean aren't there enough of those on kickstarter <laughs> yeah you would think <laughs> but those never arrive yeah okay. honestly yeah you could you could make a mechanical keyboard company if you you know <laughs> were able to source decent parts and actually fucking deliver oh uh, no the one time i kickstarted a uh, ergonomic keyboard it came in like two plus years later i kept getting their email updates about them having issues with manufacturing then the original guy who found that it left um it was so fucked up so like two years later i got my keyboard i immediately turned around and sold it on ebay and actually made like a ten dollar profit i didn't give a fuck but um and then i got an email from like a year later like hey we're getting ready to ship your order i'm like no you're not i'm not i'm not doing this oh no, <laughs> um, oh, no. yeah it was fucking weird uh, yeah. Okay, moving on. Let's see here. Oh, so this is this is fucking weird to me. PlayStation VR 2 was announced, but it will not mm -hmm. be backwards compatible with PlayStation VR 1. As it, that one is games. weird. That is so batshit crazy to me. I mean, it's it's bizarre on the face of it. Like, the hardware is... Uh, it's a point increase. It's definitely more capable, and it's a worthy upgrade. Um, the only thing I can think about uh, that uh, the only thing that I can think of that would cause an any kind of compatibility issue would be uh, interface, like the motion control things that they had just may not work and that might be true like i haven't looked at what the new version of those motion controls are it used to be optical tracking like external tracking and now it may be internal tracking and maybe they don't it have a shim for that uh to make it work but 
Look, I, I understand that the hardware is significantly different. And yes, it apparently has moved all to internal tracking, and that's awesome for the consumer. The The hardware issues are kind of not my point with the confusion. VR is a challenging market because it is a high-end market where you need high-end technology and disposable income, and you have a small selection of games on which to play on your hardware. So to alienate, it is already a tiny-ass pool of games. To alienate all of those games that are already out on PSVR 1 and say, oh, we want you to give us hundreds of dollars more, and you can't play your old VR experiences... To me, this isn't going from a Nintendo to a Super Nintendo. Like, this is a fucking VR experience with, again, a tiny fucking library. I do not understand the business decision there. Like, find my two cents, and I'm not a CEO, and I'm not in charge. I'm not experienced. But, like, find a fucking way is kind of my thought here. Like, wow, you're just... To me, that's just like giving a middle finger... Like, if Valve released a new headset and said, none of your old Steam games work on it, I'd be like, what? Are you fucking kidding me? And their library is five times bigger than PSVR. It just, I don't know, man, it just blows my mind. I just think it's horrible, and it's just teaching people to not buy VR. Yeah. Now, and maybe it's just me being generous, but because it's so, like, mind-bendingly stupid as a business decision, I have to believe that it's not... Like, there's got to be something in this, like, new version of whatever that is just fundamentally incompatible with how they built the games for the first version. I don't know what it is. I can't even imagine what it could be. And it's also probably really stupid. But, like, that's that's it. That's, that's the only thing that I can think of, is it's got to be just because it's not possible. Well, or I'm- because it's not cost-effective to fix. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to assume that it is a, you know, advanced tech problem, right? We're engineers, where so this shit is not simple. It is not flick a switch, put a button in Unity, and everything works. No, it is not that simple. I get it. But I'm just like, man, you got to find a way. <laughs> like, are you trying to manufacture hardware? Are you trying to open up a new market? Are you trying to get people on board? Because, like, you need to find a way. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's not like it would be impossible, even if the issue was really that oh man, we've got to get every game that's ever come out on the PSVR 1 to go back and rework their entire control schemes. I mean, all of them are predicated on one virtual device. Fucking virtualize it. Like, write yourself a compatibility layer between your new shit and that old shit and just feed it the virtualized input. I I don't know, man. Like, it's a solvable problem in-house. It's not going to require earth-moving... Uh, you know, massive mobilization of game developers to come and, and fix all of these games. It's definitely a Sony issue. I just can't imagine what it could be. I don't know. I don't know. But it was just a really interesting announcement, and I just was like, wow, that's to me that's face palming. But uh, yeah, and it's a, and it's such it, it's such a. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better expression in the moment, and so I was about to say fly in the ointment. Um, God get off my fucking lawn (laughs) but yeah no it's it's such a downer because like i said the hardware in this second iteration is legitimately better like it's got a lot of the things that a lot of people wanted out of the the second gen uh vr systems it's got eye tracking it's got you know uh, automatic ipd and foveated rendering and all of the really great shit 
to give you a massively improved experience. And then to have that happen, like to just, oh yeah, you can have the hardware or the games pick one. It's just, a, it's just, it's just such a shame. Like that's just disappointing. I, I think, I think so. if you were going to buy a PS5 anyway, like it's still worth throwing down for the PSVR 2. It's a legitimately cool piece of hardware. How much does it cost? Uh, I just, I don't know off the top of my head. If I had to guess, I'd say 399, but I'm just going to go look it up. Also going to guess 400. Uh, let's see. PSVR 2 price, uh, 350. Close enough. Yeah. So, like, yeah, if you were going to buy a PlayStation 5 anyway, PSVR 2, it's... I feel like 350 is a reasonable amount, and I'm saying this with the big old asterisk of this is reasonable as VR headsets go. Um, they're all, at least the decent ones, are all expensive. Um, yeah, I mean, if there's any VR game that you want to play, and if you're just, you know, even a fan of VR as a medium, it's a good piece of kit. Like, it's it's legitimately just good hardware. Well, no, so, it's, it, that's that's great, but uh, you know the um, Arrested Development meme of there are dozens of us, dozens. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, because if you're talking about the number of games on PSVR, there are single digits of us, single. Yeah. I, I just don't know, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, final headline, also on disappointing things with tech companies, Google Stadia is shutting down in Q1 of 2023. No, don't. Nobody saw this coming. Yeah. Google's never abandoned software before. No. But I think, I, again, I wish Raul were here because I think he actually enjoyed using it. I know one of my friends who was a father also enjoyed being able to just play games from anywhere with it. So uh, it clearly had its uh, proponents. And I don't know, man. I Look, okay. First and foremost, I don't trust Google products at all. I have been burned by them multiple times now. If it's not Chrome... If it's not the actual search engine, Maps, or uh, Android, I don't fucking trust it. Like, that, that's it. Like, I don't fucking trust anything else that Google does. It'll die. Um, their, their routers, their smart devices, their hardware accessories, they, their tablets, they'll all die. Um, so this does not shock me, and Google, I will just, I will just never trust them ever again. But I got to say, man, I, I don't know what your thought is on this is. I really feel like if they had just come out and been more modest, if they hadn't come out trying to be with a bang, we're going to be the next gaming platform. Everything's going to be amazing. It's going to be 4K over the internet. If they had just come out modestly, partnered with some other companies, um, rolled out just streaming game services, not promised 4K on launch day, I feel like this could have worked. I feel like they tried so hard, they just, they sh- like instead of crawl, you know, the term crawl, walk, run, right? They didn't crawl, walk, run. They got up, sprinted, banged their knee, and started bleeding and limped forward. And I feel like if they had just not done that, it could have survived. What I don't know. What is your What's your take? I mean, you're not wrong. The problem is Google would never do that. Ugh. They hit a home run once back in the 90s, and they think they can do it with every new service that they launch. And that's been their strategy for the last 20 years, is anything that doesn't make a billion dollars just gets the axe. So at this point, fuck them. <laughs> just fuck them. Uh, I'm not even remotely surprised. I did use Stadia to try it because I think I got a coupon and something. But and yeah, it worked. It was great. It was fine. Like nothing, 
wrong with it as a service. It's just not a billion dollar success overnight. So fuck them. They don't want to build a business. They don't want to build a product. They don't want to put in the work to make something successful. Fuck them. There's always GeForce now. <laughs> we we are throwing a lot of shade here, but I just yeah, Google has burned me, us, the world so many times. Uh, they promise a lot, they take away. Um, so okay, okay, let's give them some credit here. Let's give them some good news. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but apparently Google is going to refund every purchase you made on Stadia, every single game that you bought, 100% of the money spent on the platform will get refunded. Now, only Google I has mean, those kind of coffers, but... <laughs> I I guess... <laughs> I, I mean, it feels like that's the least they could do to avoid a class action lawsuit because their terms of service were claiming that they were going to have this thing online for 10 years. It didn't, so now everybody gets a refund. So, sure, yeah, that's that's credit. I guess, but is it? Eh, I mean, for for consumers, it's as good a news as you're going to get. Now, one of the counterpoints, and I heard this on a podcast, was uh, developers are kind of fucked. If you were making your games for Stadia, especially the games that are about to launch right now, you are completely and utterly fucked. Because Google may have been giving them great deals in terms of, like, publishing and keeping their percentages and dev kit support, but, you know getting 90% of zero is still zero. So the the devs are now, especially the small guys, are in a lot of trouble um, mm-hmm. if their games weren't selling well or were about to come out because that platform is just dead. So the shutdown refunds are great for consumers, but devs are in trouble. And my you know heart breaks for them. So yeah, fucking for Google, sure. man. That's no fun. You know who else my heart breaks for? Not Chris Pratt. The guy, the guy who had, uh, oh, what was it? I forget which game it was. It might have been Skyrim. Uh, the guy who had four thousand hours in a game on Stadia, no, and man. now can't get his save off of it. <laughs> uh, hang on, hang on. I gotta. Let's see. Oh, Red Dead Redemption Two. And I was wrong. Six thousand hours. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. 6,000 hours on Red Dead Redemption 2 on Stadia. Cannot get his save. He was begging Google in uh, some message somewhere to get his save off of the service. I don't know if they'll help him. I don't know if they can help him. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's just not that simple, but hopefully someone can. No one will, but hopefully someone can. Oh, man. It's just, that's the kind of tragedy that you're just is it does it count as tragic irony because everybody saw this coming nobody nobody could have not seen this coming right right i mean you know there were influencers and some people who are really on board the train some of which are paid some of which are not i don't know i all of us were skeptical and yes it hasn't worked out and again i just i think the biggest now, the, the, again, the saddest thing is, is those poor developers who are now in trouble sure. because of this. But, like, the second saddest thing is that I think it could have fucking worked. I, I, if they'd have just come out, and again, like, people were so pissed on day one because it wasn't 4K on day one. No shit. And if it hadn't been, we're going to have our own exclusive platform. It's been, I don't know, they partner with fucking Sony. They partner with Microsoft. They partner with other things. They just 
came out, like you said, swinging. And it's like, you didn't, guys, you didn't need to do this. You could have just built yourself up. But yeah, know. maybe I'm wrong no, about and that. I don't know. And it's so stupid. And this is why I say fuck them because they hit a double in the, when they expected a home run. And the double's real good, but they just threw up their hands and forfeit the whole game. Like, yeah, well, this is a business style I'm unfortunately familiar with. But we're not talking about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, so we got a couple of news headlines. I don't know if you want to touch on anything else or you want to. What do you want to go out on? Uh, I mean, I'd feel bad if we didn't at least mention the GTA 6 leak. Go go ahead, by all means. While, while we're talking about video games, um, I'm actually curious about your perspective on it because the general, like, I, I didn't read too much into it. Like, yeah, uh, somebody at wherever at Rockstar uh, took a video or got a video off of one of those servers and somebody was actually prosecuted, which uh, I didn't, uh, again, read too much about on the face of it but i do recall the uh the response from the rockstar developers just being like heartbroken about this uh this leak and yeah it doesn't show it, it's showing work in progress stuff like the uh final renders of the world and systems aren't there it's got a lot of developer overlays uh in the clips and like Honestly, the video itself isn't super interesting, except that, hey, now everybody knows that they're working on GTA 6 for realsies. So, I don't know. I, I guess so, it's yeah, always not fun when you have a surprise that you're excited to show people and then it gets spoiled, but uh, I, don't, I don't know what that feels like for game developers. Yeah, so, okay, as someone who's been in the industry for a ridiculously long time now and also having followed these, you know, the, the GTA League stories... Yeah, uh, it totally sucks to have your shit revealed early because, you know, I mean, you, you kind of blow the marketing hype cycle and people might get, again, a bad sense or taste of what they're seeing when games... Game development is really weird, man. There's no functional spec for how to create fun. And so you would be absolutely positively amazed how many games come together... Well, basically all games really come together... Uh, at the end like sometimes like not sometimes hopefully the core game loop is working beforehand but and the art style has been selected but like really the game doesn't fully coalesce until the very end of development when everything starts moving as a well-oiled machine and so no matter what you see in the leaks it's not going to represent the final product and so there's a lot of dipshits out there being like oh well the art is final like no you have no fucking idea the art is not final things are still going to change the art is going to work right up to the goddamn deadline and afterwards um, you know, the, there's a lot of programming that goes into art as well, shaders and custom bullshit. So uh, this does not represent the final product. This definitely ruins the hype cycle and how they can unveil it and, you know, takes away from their, their thunder later. And yeah, the, the asshole who stole this was actually like selling off parts of the source code and other ridiculous bullshit. Um, mm. It's just, I don't know, man, G game leaks like this just don't do anyone any good, right? Like I've, this is kind of wading into some dark ass you know weird territory we probably shouldn't get too deep into but like you know i i do think someone like edward snowden is uh, a hero not a villain in my opinion and he was a person who leaked information from you know the united states government so there's a an argument to be made in a time and a place where you could say oh leaks are, are moral or can be a good thing you know freedom of information this is a fucking video game development like there's no 
even if you hated the publisher and said, oh, Rockstar, fucking evil, there's still no justice and there's no help and there's nothing good to come out of hacking that and leaking it. It doesn't do anything positive. So yeah, I feel bad for the devs because this does not represent their final work. Again, it's stealing their thunder and it does no one any fucking favors. No justice is served here. No one's better off for anything. It's, it, yeah. I don't know, it's just stupid. It's stupid and it kind of sucks. Fuck them. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> no, I hear you. Um, I can definitely get behind that sentiment. The um, silver lining, if you want to put it that way, is this the GTA 6, as it stands, is potentially years from being anything like releasable. So it's early. This is a dark spot in its story arc, but it's not, I think, going to be the thing that overshadows it. So if there's anything good to say, it's that it'll get better. You know, um, I, I can imagine a world where somebody gets up on stage to officially announce uh, GTA 6 or, you know, they hit some milestone and they want to tell the world and they lead off with ladies and gentlemen, I give you GTA 6, and they just play the clip from that leak. <laughs> just own it. Uh, and then maybe go into the real thing. But, like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where you're right. There's, it's, there's not really anything positive that comes out of it, uh, except maybe if you can laugh at it or get to the point where you can laugh at it, then it becomes something that you can take the power back. Yeah, fair enough. I don't know. Thoughts, two cents, yeah, whatever yeah, that's yeah. worth with inflation and everything. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, dear uh, listener. Thank you so very much for joining us. We'll be back. Uh, Zach, will we be back next week? Uh, what's next week? Yeah, I think I will be. All right, I'll be here as well. Uh, week after that could be interesting for me. We'll see. But um, game launch, game launch, game launch. But... Uh, yeah, man. Thanks for thanks for going through all the, the micro reviews. And dear listener, I know we often say we have things teed up. We do. We have multiple things teed up as soon as Ruli is back. Um, so yeah, hopefully he's not too sick from having been on a boat or too sunburnt from having been on a boat or ha- too waterlogged from having been on a boat. This joke's not working and I'm just going to keep going. It's just getting worse. It's getting worse all the time. But uh, yeah. I don't know, Zach. Thanks again, man. Yeah. Thank you. All right, dude. We miss you, Ruli. Come back to us, Ruli. Come back. Ruli, come back. What's what are the next lines to that song? Are you going to play the uh, the Lonely Island, I'm on a boat yes. song at any point in this? I hope so. <laughs> and on that note, dear listener, until next time, QQ on a boat. Excellent. Hey, dear listener, thank you so very much for joining us. Please always remember that any and all views expressed on the podcast are representative solely of the person expressing them. Not of their friends and family, not of their co-hosts or co-workers, and certainly not of their employers, past, present, or future. Again, thank you for joining us, and thank you for respecting our individuality. I just got bored. Everybody out.